Instead of syncing your phone with iTunes, downloading an MP3 into your mobile device, you can stream episodes of MTR with the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Stitcher allows you to listen to My Take Radio via your 4G, 3G, or Wi-Fi connections. Downloading it is quick and easy. Head over to stitcher.com forward slash my take and you'll even be eligible to win some money. Enter my take all one word in the promo box and you'll be eligible to win $100 courtesy of my take radio and Stitcher. MTR Live starts right now. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio episode 184 for Thursday, May 16th, 2013. I'm your host, Rich, and our caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, that caller number is 347-324-3541. You can also hit up our feedback line. That's 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. All right, so... It's a it's a new week, post Mother's Day. Got a couple of things to discuss um, in so in in the real world happenings. But I did want to talk about one big thing that we are testing out right now as we speak, and that is a unified chat room on the My Take Radio site. Now, usually, a lot of you guys are tuning into the show. You're listening either via Blog Talk Radio or you're listening via Mixler. Some of you guys are listening via the call-in number, and what's happening is that the chat rooms are getting split up. So what I decided to do was create a unified chat room that would in turn allow everybody to be in one place right on the site. They can listen either through Mixler or BTR, and it would just make things a lot easier. It's been uh, an interesting experiment to say the least. I was trying it out earlier, and for some reason it seems that the player the Mixler player on the site auto plays when we're broadcasting. So uh, it actually made the the audio come out double at the start of the show. You guys probably heard that. So I got to figure out what the hell is going on with the Mixler player on the site for me, at least where I can, you know, interact with the listeners via that particular chat room. So it's a, it's a work in progress. We're testing it out and, um, Hopefully, if it all goes according to plan, it'll be something that we will be using uh, going forward. The problem, the problem is that splitting up the audiences has been—it's been something that's been bugging me for a while. You got to look at it from the standpoint of you have the blog talk radio audience that wants to call in and do what they want to do and listen to the show live, which is great. We also have our Mixler audience that also 
is in the same boat with regards to, you know, just listening to the show and interacting that way because of the better quality audio. But like I said, it, it actually makes it, it makes double work for myself and for slick to monitor both chat rooms at the same time. And, you know, we, we try to make it work as best as we can. So hopefully this, this is something we can continue using going forward and you guys will get a nice unified experience. All right. So a couple of things I wanted to discuss last week, a lot of people reached out to me about my, um, my, I don't want to say ill-timed, but just my very abrasive Mother's Day monologue from last week. And um, I wanted to address that. I also wanted to address um, a listener email that we got from the UK, from Gavin Davies from Wales, who is a listener of the show in the UK, and he just wanted to give us a shout-out. So I'm going to share that email with you guys. But my commentary from last week was interesting for a couple of reasons, obviously giving giving people a glimpse into the... Uh, you know, the, my real world, it's something I do often. And in a episode of behind the mic that we recorded this week with JVB, you know, we were just talking about how our audiences are, they're pretty much our psychiatrists. And it's, it's funny because, you know, JVB agreed. And, you know, I also spoke to Andrew Zarian and his crew from the GFQ network about, you know, the monologue I did and everybody was pretty much in agreement about how I felt, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, it was just weird. You know, it it was weird afterwards. Like so many people just reaching out via Twitter, Facebook and stuff, just, just asking me questions about it. And, you know, I got one person that asked me if, if I felt comfortable sharing that much, um, you know, that much mad, not madness, but just that much, um, you know, that, that, that much of myself with, with the world. And, you know, I, I feel comfortable with it. I think after nearly 200 episodes, you guys have been with us through the highs, the lows, the audio issues, the, you name it, we, we've experienced it. So you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, I'm not, it's not something that I, that I'm ashamed of, or I have issues with. So I'm glad to be able to share that with you guys. Anyway, the other thing I wanted to discuss, like I said, is we got a listener email from Gavin Davies. He's a longtime listener of the show, and he occasionally sends me just nuggets of wisdom from the UK. This this week was no different, as he sent me a very humorous email with regards to the Ninja Turtles. I actually received this email at 4 o'clock this morning, so I figured I'd share it with you guys. He puts, uh, good morning to you at MTR. A few weeks ago, you were having a very interesting chat on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Now, in the UK, they changed the name to Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, as ninjas at the time had bad connotations with nunchucks and generally breaking shit up, whereas heroes seemed that they were more wholesome and good role models. The name change did not change the fact that the turtles were, in fact, unhealthy eating April panty sniffers and dudes that spent time breaking shit up with nunchucks and dangerous weapons. Now, in Wales, the show was redubbed in Welsh, and the show title then became, wow, uh, it's, it looks like it says Krabanad Mutant Yen. Wow. I can't even, I can't even type the, I, if I put what it says in Welsh, I'm actually going to put it in the, in the Mixler chat only because I can't go to the site and try it that way. But this particular thing is a little, a little freaky. It's, uh, will it even let me paste it? No. I'll have to I'll have to paste it 
in the show notes for you guys to see it. In Welsh, it's just some really, really crazy shit. Anyway, he goes, good luck pronouncing that. He says, if there is to be a new film, it should have Jonah Hill, Michael Sarah, McLovin, and Stifler as the Turtles. Last two that have been, last two have been eternally rechristened, and who gives a fuck if they have real names? Emma Stone is April to complete the sugar, the, the super bad reunion, and Forrest Ridicker and his sleepy eye as Splinter. Also, no CGI, just costumes and makeup. Who would not enjoy seeing Jonah Hill naked, painted green with a giant shell on his back? Box office gold. Love your show. It makes me laugh on the train on a Friday morning. Rich, you're a legend. Kindest regards, Gavin Davies. Uh, Gavin, as always, thank you for the email. It always makes me laugh getting emails from the UK because it's it's interesting for a couple of reasons. I shared with a lot of you guys on our Facebook fan page just the different countries that listen to the show. And I'm going to, again, go into real territory. About three weeks ago, I woke up one, probably one Wednesday morning, yeah, one Wednesday, it was Wednesday, and I said to him, I actually contemplated just hanging it up and quit doing the show. What ends up happening, uh, what's up, AZ, Andrew Zarian from the GFQ Network joining us, host of Matt Men, also host of the Free For All on Fridays on GFQ.TV. Anyway, so, you know, I woke up a Wednesday morning about three weeks ago, and I was honestly bummed out. Just with the with the the way things are, you know, you wake up. For me personally, wake up, go to work, got all my real life stuff. Come home, website, show prep, articles, SEO, blah 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 blah. And I legitimately contemplated throwing in the towel, folding up the show, and just leaving the site or or leaving the site to slick and and blade and and quark and those guys and just just stepping back because i felt i felt burned out i felt incredibly frustrated and just just angry with you know just well feeling angry is the norm for me that's the equivalent of smiling every day but just i i just felt disillusioned that day and i legitimately thought i I kid you guys not about three weeks ago that that was going to be it and i was just going to fold it up and it's crazy because a lot of guys that i know that do shows whether it's guys that are bigger broadcasters, small guys, middle-of-the-road guys that do shows, they've kind of felt the same thing. I mean, I asked JVB about it as well when we recorded the Behind the Mic last night, and he said the same thing, that sometimes he takes some time off to kind of reassess and reevaluate. The crazy thing for me was just the fact that I legitimately was just going to fold it up. It wasn't even a question of, saying, hey, you know, guys, I'm thinking about... No, it was going to be me going on the fan page saying, look, I'm not going to do the show anymore, and that was going to be it. And I was going to say, I'm burned out. I'll tell you guys why I stopped. I stopped for three reasons. Uh, Number one, I'm way too invested right now. Practically 200 episodes. I I think we we, we got a a ton of, of posts on the site that we've all written. A lot of people are invested, not just myself, and that's kind of what was the wake up call, you know, my fiance writes slick, uh, John blade, quark, Ben, uh, countless others that have come and gone. The many people that I've met through the show. And these are people that, that count on you for content and some sort of entertainment. And you know, that was, that was motivating factor. Number one, number two was the fact that I enjoy doing it, even though it's frustrating and it gets a little bit, uh, overbearing sometimes I, I do, I do enjoy it. And 
you know, to take a cue from from Andrew from the GFQ network because he he can vouch for being burned out and being angry. Um, it, it's just it just became a thing where you just got to press forward. Everybody's going to have a bad week and um, shit happens. So luckily, luckily for myself, I decided to, you know, get off, get off the, the, the get, uh, excuse me, shit or get off the pot and not feel, uh, feel sorry for myself. That was pretty much it. So I wanted to share that with you guys because it's true. Sometimes you get super burned out and you want to throw in the towel and it actually, it almost happened three weeks ago, but rest assured it's not happening. I'm not going to fold up the show anytime soon unless I get dismembered, hacked up, killed, um, or somebody just buys the show out from under me, you know, and in that case, I'd start something completely new, focusing on my love of sea monkeys and turtles, and I'll do a complete show about that. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I kid. Don't panic. Anyway, so with that out of the way, let's <laughs> let's get into what we're going to talk about this week. Um, marijuana in the UFC. Needless to say, somebody got caught with some weed in their system. They lost a lot of money, somebody got suspended, and somebody got paid. So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about some of the upcoming fight cards, including UFC on FX this weekend, which is going to be a great card. The weigh-ins for that are going to be on MyTakeRadio.com tomorrow afternoon at 3 o'clock. You'll be able to watch that there. Also, we have a ton of wrestling news. We got a little bit of, of some some madness with regards to wrestling this week, especially on the Raw side of things, because Raw was... Um, Raw was was subpar again. I mean, there were some high points, but there were some low points as well. TNA stepping their game up, you know. And last but not least, of course, we got entertainment news and our gaming news for this week. I know Slick is probably going to chime in on the gaming front and also on the entertainment front. And he will have the review for Star Trek up by the time the show is done this evening. Slick got to check it out before I did. So, um... You know, that was, uh, from what I've been hearing, a lot of people really enjoyed it. They had their issues. Slick, of course, is going to share his with you guys, and you guys can check that out after the show. Hopefully, I'll be checking that out this weekend. Next week, I'll be checking out Fast 6. Then we got Superman. It's going to be a very, very busy couple of days over here at MTRHQ. Anyway, let's not beat around the bush. Let's get right into it. Let's talk some MMA. So, first up, got to talk about the uh, the issue going on with XFC. Their champion, Nick Newell, actually refused to defend his belt against Scott Holtzman. Now, a lot of you guys may not be familiar with Nick Newell, but Nick Newell is a one-handed MMA fighter, one-armed. Well, one-handed. He's actually missing his hand, not his whole arm. But he is a one-handed MMA fighter. He is undefeated, won the belt in XFC, the guy refused to defend the belt and has been stripped of the title for not wanting to defend it. So the president of XFC actually spoke to MMA Junkie about it, and he he said um, with regards to the belt being stripped from him, he said the following. Since he beat Eric Reynolds, Nick has been wanting to fight UFC fighters and basically calling out Dana White to accept him into the UFC. He wanted me to almost prepare a roadmap for him to get into the UFC by being able to fight certain fighters thinking he'd get noticed by the UFC. 
It's not my job to prepare a roadmap for a fighter that fights an XFC into the UFC. It's my job to put out the best fights and to treat my fighters fairly within my organization. When asked about Scott Holtzman, he said Scott Holtzman had earned the right to fight for the belt against Nick Newell. Nick Newell wanted to pass to bypass Scott, and I just thought that that was grossly unfair. If a fighter's going to tell me who he's going to fight, then he can wind up going to fight for somebody else. When asked, when asked about Nick, he said, I wish him well. Nick's been an inspiration for me all along. I love what he's done. I just don't like the way this has been handled. This was about protecting Scott Holtzman as much as anything. Scott has earned the right to fight for the belt. I can't have a fighter dictate to me who they're willing to fight and who they won't fight. You'll fight who I put in front of you or you won't fight for XFC. I, I can't blame the guy and I'll tell you why. I mean, the, the Nick Newell story is is incredibly... Um, it's a heartwarming story. Here's a guy, you know, missing his hand, doesn't let it hinder him, becomes a, a, a really good mixed martial artist, wins a belt. It's it's a tremendous story, but the problem with it was that I think that he kind of lost sight of what he wanted to do with his career. Some of these guys, they come into MMA, and all they want is to get into the UFC. I can't blame the guy. Who doesn't want to do that? But... We also have to take into consideration the fact that when you are an MMA fighter for a promotion, you fight who they put in front of you. More often than not, a lot of these guys come in here being complete head cases, and what they end up doing is just saying, oh, you know, I want to go and I want to fight for the in the UFC. And Dana White already explicitly said that he wasn't trying to have this guy fight for his organization. He did not want to do that. But, um... The crazy thing is that I, I don't blame XFC for doing what they did. On the contrary, what ends up happening in this case is you strip them of the belt. We go and we get ourselves a, a good fight that will honor the showmanship of the organization. And Nick Newell is just going to go about his business and he may end up in another organization or he may apologize and end up in XFC, but the fact is that Dana White has gone on record saying that he's not going to do a he's not going to have a one-handed fighter in the UFC. It's the he said it. He's like I'm not going to do it. What we're going to end up doing is just um you know, we're going to end up having the fights that the fans want to see. So, in Nick Newell's case, he kind of shot himself in the foot and honestly, Dana White's not trying to do it. Don't get me wrong, Dana White says Never say never with regards to certain things, but I don't think he's going to want to do the whole one-handed fighter in the UFC thing. It's it's a it's a crazy, crazy thing. Um, for those of you that are in the chat on MyTakeRadio.com, I actually figured it out. I muted the Mixler audio, so I'm in there now. Just a quick reminder, if you're just tuning in and you are in the BTR chat and it's empty, you can actually join the unified chat on MyTakeRadio.com slash Listen to my take radio and you can join the chat in there and listen via Mixler or BTR. Leonard Garcia has found himself a brand new home with legacy fighting championships. The deal was reported on inside MMA this past Friday. He will be making his debut against Ray Trujillo at legacy FC 21 on July 19th. Of course, Leonard Garcia was recently released by the UFC after a just a, I don't even want to say that he had a, a losing streak because there were a lot of fights that went in his favor, courtesy of the judges. Let's not kid ourselves. That's what ended up happening. But um, I will say that 
Maybe he'll get a couple of wins under his belt at Legacy and make his way back to the UFC. He's an exciting guy. The guy's got a ton of fight of the night bonuses. I wish him nothing but the best, and I think in, in Legacy he'll do well. And it's a promotion that still has, you know, has some TV clout airing on Access TV. So Leonard Garcia debuting for Legacy Fighting Championships on July 19th. This weekend, of course, we got UFC on FX8. Vitor Belfort against Luke Rockhold. Chris Camozzi's taking on Jacare. Uh, Rafael Dos Anjos is taking on Evan Dunham. And Rafael Sapo Natal is taking on Jael Zafrino. Also, the prelims will be on Fuel TV at 6 o'clock on Saturday. Uh, Hakran Diaz taking on Nick Lentz. John Cholish is on that card. Paulo Tiago. And the prelims will be at 4.30 on Facebook. A couple of good fights there. I will say that... It's free MMA, it's from Brazil, and the best part is that Vitor Belfort, Luke Rockhold, I think Luke Rockhold being the last 185-pound strike force champion, looking to go in there, make a case for himself to challenge Anderson Silva. The Vitor fight is going to be really good, and that fight can end very quickly, either through knockout power or through submission. So either way, it's going to be a crazy, crazy night of fights. And of course, it's free. So if you got FX, like I said, 9 p.m. Eastern for the main card. If you got Fuel, 6 p.m. for the prelims. And of course, Facebook, 4.30 in the afternoon. Nick Diaz is in the news this week, and he's not the only Diaz brother I will be talking about in this week's MMA segment. He is in the news this week because he plans on starting his own mixed martial arts promotion. The California State Athletic Department confirmed that Diaz has begun the process to by applying for a promoter's license in California. As of right now, it looks like the website is going to be, um, the promotion is going to be called War Mixed Martial Arts, and there's a website registration for NickDiazPromotions.com. So, of course, we all know Nick Diaz lost his fight to GSP at UFC 158, and he's pretty much said that he is contemplating retirement unless he gets a rematch with George or he fights Anderson Silva so either way Nick Diaz is looking to start his own promotion and I think it's going to be interesting to see how he goes about it our friends at at Triple THS Tommy Tollhold put out a very very humorous video with regards to Nick Diaz's promotion I recommend you guys check that out Um, the other Diaz brother I wanted to talk about this week is Nate Diaz Nate Diaz got into some trouble and this involves the whole weed story I talked about earlier. So here's here's the scoop from start to finish. Stick with me. Pat Healy, who last fought at UFC 159, he beat Jim Miller in a very, very good fight. He got himself two fight of the night bonuses, Pat Healy. A $65,000 bonus for fight of the night and a $65,000 submission of the night bonus. Here's what happens. Guy ends up pissing hot for marijuana. What ends up happening is he gets stripped of his bonuses and the bonuses are given to Brian Caraway. So Brian Caraway gets the um, submission of the night bonus. Now what happens with that is it's not so much that he he was um, punished for testing positive for marijuana. It was also the fact that he was stripped of his bonuses. So Brian Caraway, of course went on Twitter saying, oh, you know, it's awesome. I don't, I don't approve of weed. Weed is bullshit, blah, blah, blah. I got myself a fight of the night bonus. So you're asking yourself, how does this, ha- what does Nick, D- uh, not Nick Diaz, how, what does Nate Diaz have to do with this entire situation? Well, Nate Diaz went on Twitter <laughs> this afternoon and um, he said, and I quote, 
I feel bad for Pat Healy that they took an innocent man's money, and I think the guy who took the money is the biggest fag in the world. Verbatim, that's what Nate Diaz wrote on Twitter. Now, we already know what happened with Matt Mitrione and Fallon Fox and the comments that he made. What did he get? A nice suspension. So, of course, the tweet circulated, went through the web. Turns out that Nate Diaz is suspended for violating the UFC's code of conduct. So the UFC, of course, released a statement. We are very disappointed by Nate Diaz's comments, which are in no way reflective of our organization. Nate is currently suspended pending internal investigation, and we will provide further comment once the matter has been decided. I agree with what Andrew says in the chat. Some people just need to stop using Twitter. Uh, Nate Diaz's manager, Mike Kogan, who's a pretty cool dude, said the following. Nate voiced a personal opinion about an incident that took place involving Brian Caraway in which he chased Dana all over Twitter to try and get a bonus, which was taken away from Pat Healy. Not only not only did he get the bonus, but he had the nerve to go back out there and bash the guy and talk shit about weed and how much he hates it and how it's wrong, which was at best a shit move. Guess what? This is Mike Kogan now. He says the word faggot, at least in Northern California and where Nate is from, means bitch. It means you're a little punk. It has nothing to do with homosexuals at all. So when Nate made the comment that he made, he didn't make it in reference to homosexuals or calling Caraway a homosexual. He just said it was a bitch move. Kogan, his manager, went on to add, how people take it beyond my control, how people take it is beyond my control, but that's what my intent was. And it was a bitch move. For the record, Pat Healy, it's not like Pat Healy is George St. Pierre and could afford it. That was probably the most money he's ever made in his life. And because of something he did, I'm pretty sure... You know, way before the fight, it's not like he walked into the cage with a, with weed in his mouth. He got fined. He doesn't need somebody else dwelling over it. I'm sure some people got offended, and hopefully this article explained what his intent was. But how, but how people view it is how people view it. I can't control that. His intent was not to make a derogatory term toward homosexuals. He used the word to refer to a punk or a bitch. Okay. So, there's a couple of things we're going to get into with this story. Number one, marijuana is not a performance enhancing drug. It's not. I've always said it on the contrary. It should be a performance hindering drug, but it's not whatever the case is. Maybe the guy smoked a, a, a joint a week or two before a fight. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he smoked a bowl, you know, a, a couple of weeks before a fight. Any way you slice it, the fact is that it's not a performance enhancing drug. Did, should he have gotten suspended? Of course, I mean, given that they consider marijuana performance enhancing drug, unfortunately, that's what the that's what the record states. That's what has to be done. Now, here's the kicker, you know. With regards to that, in some cases, true. Okay, Andrew says in the chat, in some cases they do consider it a performance enhancing drug. I mean, in terms of possibly dulling pain, okay. I, I can I can I can give I can give, definitely give that argument some merit. But what I'm saying is, the amount of metabolites he had in his system would be indicative of how much weed he smoked. I don't have the amount in front of me, but I really would be curious to see because if it was a you know a small percentage, that would mean that the weed was probably in his system from for a couple of weeks. Again, not saying that it's right or wrong. I just feel that it's it's such a gray area. With regards to that, that I'm just, it's it's a touchy subject. Now, 
Brian Caraway, a lot of us as MMA fans, we have a love-hate relationship with the guy. The guy is, um, you know, his relationship with Misha Tate, Misha Tate kind of gives off the impression that she carries the, the sack in that relationship. And, you know, he's going all over Twitter. I want a bonus. I want a bonus. I want a bonus. Just, dude, go out there and win a bonus. Simple as that. Mouthing off afterwards, you know that's going to open up a Pandera, uh, uh, a Pandora's box. But the thing that gets me is Brian Caraway, a couple of months back, said that he would fight Ronda Rousey because Ronda Rousey made comments in the buildup for her fight with Misha Tate that she would whoop Brian Caraway's ass. So um, there, there's a couple of things. When Brian Caraway said that he would he would punch Ronda Rousey in the face. Nobody said anything. It, it, it was kind of like, yeah, you know, whatever. The dude's just defending his chick. And it's like, dude, you, you said you'd punch a woman in the face. The, you know, let's call a spade a spade. You go out there. You, you you talk shit about the guy. Nate Diaz was just doing, you know, doing doing what Nate Diaz does. Is it is it justified that he called the guy a fag? No. And I'll tell you why. When it comes to sexual orientation and things of that nature, we are in a very, 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 very sensitive climate. We are. And it's for a ton of reasons. Obviously, in the connotation that it was used, maybe he meant calling him a bitch, but you know what? He could have just as easily said, yo, Brian Caraway's a punk-ass bitch, and it would have got the same response. To For Mike Kogan, who's, who's the manager, to come out there and have to write that out, look... If, if I knew Nate Diaz personally, he was like, yo, man, that dude's a big-ass fag. You know, I'd be like, all right, whatever, you know, because I know because we're speaking. When you're going and putting that on Twitter and you're representing an organization, you are putting yourself in jeopardy immediately. Immediately. And, and this is applicable to NFL players, wrestlers, because we're going to talk about some with Austin Aries later on. Um, this is uh, applicable to NBA players. Kobe Bryant got in trouble for that shit, and it's Kobe fucking Bryant. The fact is, when it comes to derogatory speech, hate speech, you have to be careful with that kind of stuff because, and, and Andrew said it best, they need to realize that they're working for a corporation and need to answer to the network and sponsors, and that is 100% correct. When you're out there in the spotlight and you're making money from advertisers and sponsors and things like that, you don't know who that audience is. You just know that they're reading this on Twitter and they're seeing you call a guy a fag. They're not going to put the fact that it's hate speech or the fact that it's really, you know, slang for a punk ass bitch. Nobody's going to put that together. They're going to see the word fag and they're going to get offended. You know, it's it's. It's not the right way to do things. Did, should he have gotten suspended? Yes, because it's like you could have just called him a punk-ass bitch. I'm not disagreeing that Brian Caraway may be a punk-ass bitch, and who knows? If I bumped into Brian Caraway in the street, he might whoop my ass. He might not. But the fact is, you know, you could have just called him a punk-ass bitch. He should have known as soon as he sent out that tweet that he was going to be in deep shit. And that's the problem. The problem is exactly that, that he didn't think to himself, oh, you know, this is this is going to become a big problem. It's like, dude, as soon as you wrote those three letters, you should have known that that's how it was going to go down. You should have known that off off the bat. You should have known that that's how the shit was going to go down. And that's the problem. The guy goes, he writes this. Now, look, nobody wins. 
Pat Healy loses his money. Nate Diaz gets suspended. And Brian Caraway has the last laugh. Seriously. It's, it's you know, it's... It's just poor judgment, man. You you shouldn't you shouldn't put yourself in that predicament where you're going to cost yourself money. Same thing with the weed. You got to think about this rationally. It's like, yo, you can't go out there and smoke a joint while you're getting ready for a fight because you know that the athletic commission until the laws and the books are changed, you will get in trouble. This is this is what irks me. With, with a lot of the fighters. It's like, yo, you guys know what the deal is. You, it's, it's not like this, like this is your first rodeo. You guys know what the deal is. Do not put yourselves in, a, in an area where you're going to cost yourself money. Simple as that. Why would you do that? It's ridiculous. Nobody won in this scenario. Like I said, except Brian Caraway. He got the last laugh. He's laughing at everybody. Because he's like, I got paid. I said that I'm against marijuana, which makes me a positive role model. One of the Diaz brothers got suspended and Pat Healy got suspended and I got paid. I made $62,000, wait, $65,000 for nothing, you know, just, just for sitting back and chilling. So it's, it's just bad form, bad form. And like I said, nobody wins. Anyway, switching gears, we got um, an injury bug, of course, as is the case, as usual. Reza Madati is the recipient of an injury. He will not be fighting Michael Chiesa on Fox 8, on UFC on Fox 8. Now, Jorge Masvidal, whoops, am I right? Yeah, Jorge Masvidal will be stepping up to uh, face Michael Chiesa. That's taking place July 27th in Seattle. The main card will be on Fox. The prelims will be on FX and Facebook. Now, here's here's the, the crazy news with regards to MMA this week, and that, my friends, is Vanderlei Silva and Chael Sonnen. Now, you're probably asking yourself, why, you know, why are they in the news this week, and how, how cringeworthy was it? Well, allow me to enlighten you guys. First off, we all know Chael Sonnen went out there, and he pretty much called Vanderlei out and said, you know, I want to fight you. You got 24 hours to respond, blah, blah, blah. So, Vanderlei Silva takes it upon himself to respond by saying the following on UFC Tonight. John Jones and Anderson Silva have been too nice to chill. I want to suck his blood. I kid you not. I want to smell it. Not just fight. Not just fight. I want to hurt him. Chael is a joke, man. He's going to be second place forever. He's never going to be first. So... Chael Sonnen responds with, I think the real breaking news should be that Vanderlei Silva put together a coherent sentence that somebody could understand. But I can assure you, Vanderlei, I will not be signing a contract for you to suck on any part of me. I suggest you go to a bath and find yourself. That's exactly what Chael Sonnen said. Now, it's crazy because, you know, you hear that and you're like, oh, what is wrong with Vanderlei? But here's here's the crazy thing. Vanderlei, Vanderlei is an incredibly violent dangerous man and then you know Chael Sonnen pretty much you know called him out so he's not gonna sit back and be like yo it's cool man you know I'll fight you he had to make himself have a memorable soundbite so it wouldn't be an episode of MTR without just sharing the soundbite with you guys have a laugh and enjoy 
Chael, last week on Twitter, you were very active. You gave Vanderlei Silva a 24-hour deadline to accept the fight that you've been talking about for a long time, the fans as well. What's the latest? Is this fight going to happen? You know, I'll tell you, Eric, I only follow a couple of rules in fighting, but one of them is you don't bully a guy. If a guy doesn't want to fight, you don't keep picking on him. I gave him the timeline. I was always giving it to myself. If he doesn't answer, I'm done and I'll move on, and I have. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. I did reach out, Chael, to your good friend Vanderlei earlier today, and and, well, I told him about this deadline. He didn't know about it. He laughed uncontrollably, and he said he's going to have a hard time sleeping tonight. I think he was joking. And I asked him if this fight is going to happen, if he's accepted this fight. He said no one has offered them this fight. He doesn't really even want to talk about it because he hasn't gotten a call from Dana White, Lorenzo Fertitta, matchmaker Joe Silva. But he did say one thing that I wanted to share with you before he let me go. He said, I want to tell you this about Chael Sonnen. John Jones and Anderson have been too nice to Chael. I want to suck his blood. I want to smell it. Not just fight, not just fight. I want to hurt him. He went on to say, Chael is a joke, man. He is going to be second forever. He's never going to be first. Well, Chael? I think the real breaking news there is that Vandalay Silva put together a coherent sentence that somebody understood. But I can assure you, Vandalay, I will not be signing a contract for you to suck on any part of me. I suggest you go to a bath and find yourself. <laughs> Chael, I think that's a wise choice. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Chael Sonnen being Chael Sonnen and Vanderlei wanting to become a vampire, courtesy of Chael Sonnen's blood. So there you have it. And the last bit of MMA news that's sure to make Slick happy, Brandon Vera returns to the octagon at heavyweight to fight Ben Rothwell at UFC 164. That's going to take place August 31st at the Bradley Center in Milwaukee. Also on that card, Alistair Overeem. His, his opponent has not been determined. Also, Diego Sanchez is rumored to be fighting on that card as well. So Brandon Vera returns to heavyweight after a subpar run at light heavyweight at 205. We'll see how well he does against Ben Rothwell. He's coming in right now. Brandon Vera, 8-6 and six in fights in the UFC against Ben Rothwell, who is now 2-3. and three. I think somebody's definitely going to be fighting for their job with this fight. All right, guys, this is going to wrap up this week's MMA segment. As always, you can find out any of the other MMA news on MyTakeRadio.com or look for Ben's articles regarding fighters of the month, post-fight analysis, etc. All right, so let's get right into wrestling because we got a lot to discuss. And, of course, our esteemed SmackDown general manager will take it away. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! So, of course, let's get the ball rolling with Monday Night Raw, which was, for all intents and purposes, bullshit. Um, We opened it up with a dance-off, which was bound to happen, between former Dancing with the Stars contestant Chris Jericho taking on the one and only Fandango. I let those A's breathe, by the way. Anyway, so they go out there, Summer Rae busts her ass, and, um, you know, Chris Jericho... 
for all intents and purposes, is concerned, and his very attractive dance partner from Dancing with the Stars goes to check on her, ends with uh, Fandango basically whooping Chris Jericho's ass and beating him with a piece of the wood floor. Summer Rae gets up, she was faking the funk, and they pose as they run to the back. Couple of things. First off, you open up with the dance-off. Instead of using that maybe in the middle of the show, no, we're going to open up with that. I mean, I'm sure that they were paying Chris Jericho's Dancing with the Stars partner by the hour, so they figured, hey, we're going to get her in there for at least half an hour, so should we get our, her money, we get our money's worth. But here's, here's the thing. I don't mind that they did the dance-off. Did I want it to open up Monday Night Raw? Absolutely the fuck not. Not, not in the least. Didn't want that to happen. On the contrary, middle of the show would have been a better opener. You got to look at this. You got to look at it from the standpoint where if you're the WWE, you want to make sure you grab your audience at three key times. You got to talk about it. You got to grab them at eight o'clock at the start of the hour. You got to grab them at the midway point and you got to make sure you get them for the overrun for obvious reasons. You don't want people to tune out in the middle of the show and you definitely don't want people to tune out with the overrun. Now, the start of the show, and I've always felt that if you start Raw off hot, you know, just something crazy, a crazy angle, something bananas, you you keep me entertained. You make me not want to change the channel because I know something huge is is going to happen later on in the evening. When you start it off with a backstage segment or something that's pointless and lame, it's just not going to carry over well. I'm sorry, it's not. And the dance off again, you're gonna it's it's an element of their feud. I understand that. Did I want you to spend twenty five minutes on the shit at the start of the hour? No. No, no, no. Don't want that. But that pretty much was was the the, the, the brick in the foundation of failure that was Monday Night Raw. So Our first match of the night to continue this trend was Ryback and Zack Ryder. Let's not kid ourselves. We all know know how this is going to end. Long hair, new ring gear, less less crowd interactions are not making Zack Ryder any less of a jobber. And I feel bad. The guy was was actually having lunch at Bobby Flay Burger by my job earlier this week. And um, my fiance says to me, she's like, hey, man, you know, Zack Ryder's at Bobby Flay Burger. And I'm like, I can't take a lunch break and go to see the dude and, you know, say hello or whatever because I just don't have time. But I just didn't want to even do it because I just feel like a complete douchebag. Like, hey, Zach, man, how's it going? You know, oh, dude, it's good, bro. I'd be like, dude, why are they treating you like shit? And then he's going to just be like, man, you know, and and I'd, I'd feel like a complete asshole for asking him and I'd put him on the spot and he probably just wanted to enjoy his burger. It's true. It's like the first question I would ask Zack Ryder is, dude, who did you piss off that they are just shitting on you every week? Really are. When, when, when he was hot, everybody was down. Kids had the, the bandanas on, the broski wigs, the, the, the woo, woo, woo. Everybody was chanting the shit. People were down. Internet championship. The show was getting incredible views. Now, the, it, you know. They, they pretty much just shit on the guy with reckless abandon. All signs are pointing to a heel turn. I understand that. But here's the thing about Zack Ryder. Zack Ryder 
is not a WWE product. The current incarnation of Zack Ryder is not a WWE product. You know how he got a, how he got over? He got over by hustling and doing it himself. And the problem I think with that is that creative and WWE are like, yo, fuck this guy. We're going to show him that he needs us more than we need him. And it's unfortunate because Zack Ryder's a good wrestler. The guy's athletic. He 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 has good mic work. Does he occasionally go on these little rants on Twitter and, and while out? Sure. But who wouldn't? It's like the guy that works, that punches a clock at a job, knows he's due for a promotion, and gets skipped over for guys that are less qualified and know less than he does. And that's pretty much the case. Not to say that, you know, guys like 3MB don't deserve the airtime, but Zack Ryder, he still sells merchandise. And and they just it's it's pretty much like they took the horse in the back and shot it in the head. That's what they did with Zack Ryder. And it sucks. It really sucks. And going out there and, and letting Ryback destroy him, it it did no favors for each for either guy. Ryback going out there and destroying somebody, it's what you'd expect because he's Ryback. And even though he walks around walks around being Rye Bitch the last couple of weeks, still, we all know it's formulaic when he comes out there. I feel bad for Zack Ryder. Like I've said, the, what they could do with him at this point is possibly put him with the major, you know, with um, Kurt Hawkins, his former major brother's running mate. Maybe create a nice little tag team and, and breathe some fresh life into the character. Maybe do the heel turn and, and let him do that for a little bit and just get back out there and rebuild yourself. Because right now, if they if they said Zack Ryder was released from his contract tomorrow, I, I I wouldn't shed a tear, not because I wouldn't want to see him on TV, because like I said, the guy is entertaining, but because you know he's going to go to TNA. TNA will scoop him up immediately, and they'll probably get better use out of him than WWE has. Simple as that. But what can you do? So tons of funk was involved in a tag team match against the primetime players. Now, I, I kid you not, when I saw the match, I said to myself, eh, they're just going to job out the PTP, but I'm assuming that um, Al Sharpton sent the letter to the WWE and said, hey, you know, why aren't more Afri- African-Americans performing on Monday Night Raw? And let's not talk about Kofi Kingston. He doesn't count. Seriously. So, you know, tons tons of funk. I don't hate them because I'd rather they do something together and not be complete shit then have to deal with Tenzai's terrible gimmick and Brodus Clay's gimmick that was running its course. At least as a tag team, the kids dig it, people still cheer them, and it gives the guys something to do. The primetime players are, without a doubt, one of the... They're probably in the top five of underutilized superstars on that roster. You know, Titus O'Neil has has great presence. He's got the WWE look. He can cut a pretty decent promo. Chaco Cena, he's you know Chaco Cena's a serviceable mid carder. He's very good in the in the tag team dynamic, and he really works well off of Titus O'Neil. That's the beauty of it. When you look at tag team wrestlers, either guys that are established or guys that are put together, it's always one guy hiding the weaknesses or the weakness of the other guy. And a good example of that, you look at Three MB. Heath Slater does most of the talking. He's the better guy on the stick, and he's the guy that's more established. Jinder Mahal, he's coming along. I think Jinder Mahal is definitely 
improved his mic game from when he first debuted. And Drew McIntyre, he needs all the help he can get. He can wrestle, he has the look, but his mic work, I think part of it has to be has to do with his accent and just not giving enough time on the stick. He's another guy that he probably he's a guy that needs a manager. Same thing with O'Neal and Young in the sense that O'Neal can carry himself. Titus O'Neal can go out there and probably be booked on his own and do fairly, fairly well. Darren Young, sometimes he cuts promos. He seems a little, I don't want to say lost in the trees, but I think he's definitely not where he should be. But together, they work well. O'Neal hides Darren Young's flaws, and they're a serviceable and solid tag team. So to give him the victory, even though it had shenanigans, of course, Darren Young catching um, Brodus Clay with the with in the throat with the hair pick was was a little out of left field, but whatever. Gets the primetime players on TV, gets him a victory. The match overall was decent. It was typical, you know, big fat guy, um, athletic guy matches, which is we're gonna splash you a hundred times and we're gonna try and do all these crazy fat guy maneuvers and that's gonna be that. That's the, I'm sorry, that's how it is. Tons of Funk reminds me of the Natural Disasters with Earthquake, with Earthquake and Typhoon, who, again, two big guys, by themselves, eh, together, all good. Or Akeem the African Dream and the Big Boss Man. Two big guys, solo, they were okay. Together, they were awesome. Same rules apply here. That's how I view Tons of Funk, in that same vein. Now... We got a non-title match with Kofi Kingston and Damian Sandow, which for the the match was a pretty much a two-minute match. It was decent, made Kofi Kingston look, you know, made him look good. I just I feel that a loss for Damian Sandow. He lost against a guy who's a champion. It's okay, that's not bad. But the losses for Sandow seem to be piling up a little bit more than I would like. I think Damian Sandow he falls into that where you know that that genre of wrestler that I've said. You know the 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 victories matter. Especially for for guys like Sandow, who they're they're there with the audience, but they need to be just taken to the next level. Losing to Kofi Kingston, not the worst thing in the world, but you could have done something a little bit better with that match. Maybe had Cody get involved, had something where, you know, it's not a clean pin, but what can you do? So we get a bit of the hype with Sheamus and Mark Henry, blah, blah, blah. I'm the big dude. I'm going to whoop Sheamus' ass. Pretty much. So, we go from one boring guy, which is Sheamus, to another boring guy, which is Randy Orton, who, of course, um, they job Antonio Cesaro to, as usual. And I'm going to, I have a whole lengthy Antonio Cesaro diatribe for later on. But, again, losses hurt guys like Cesaro and Sandow and these guys. Yeah, sure, losing to Randy Orton, guy was a former world champion, eh, Losing to him like 20,000 times in the last three weeks, not good. Because I'm sorry, Antonio Cesaro fought Randy Orton on this Raw. He fought him on a, on a previous main event. He fought him on another episode of Raw. And I think he fought him on an episode of SmackDown before that. Seriously, you guys have a, a, a very deep roster. Why is Cesaro the sacrificial lamb to get Randy Orton over? It's stupid. Heath Slater wrestled the returning Miz. I proceeded to go to the bathroom. I came back, and Slater submitted to the figure four. So, whatever. We got an elimination rules tag match. 
John Cena, Team Hell No against The Shield. Um, very, very, very good match. The Shield continued to impress. Great spots from all the guys. Um, Ambrose with that really, really nasty finisher that he's got. Of course, the ending came via DQ, but I will say this. The Shield right now are probably the most cohesive trio of superstars on the entire roster. And I'm not saying it from the standpoint that, you know, they're a faction. I'm talking about that these guys, they've they've worked out the kinks to make each other look good. You got Ambrose coming out with his crazy offense, which is a mixture of a little bit of William Regal, and you got a little bit of that catch wrestling style, plus you got his crazy Joker-style mannerisms. You got the ultra-athletic Seth Rollins coming out there. He, he has a little bit of that high-flying offense, which is nice. And, of course, you got the strength, the muscle in the group in Roman Reigns, who, without a doubt, is the guy that they're probably watching the closest because he is the stereotypical WWE superstar that they want to build around. Jacked up, long-haired guy. And, of course, coming from the Samoan pedigree of guys like the Wild Samoans, the Usos, The Rock, Rikishi, etc., 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 it's a no-brainer you want to push this guy. Now, going into the pay-per-view this weekend... All three, all three individuals are at pretty much on the cusp of getting gold. The you know Rollins and Reigns getting the belts from Team Hell No, Ambrose getting the 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 belt from Kofi, and who knows? I've always said that it wouldn't be a complete faction without somebody competing for the World Heavyweight Title or the WWE Title, and I I just either I have a nagging suspicion that either Ryback is going to join the Shield. Which, which I've thought about, which would be a, a good swerve. And I know a lot of you guys are probably like, huh? The Shield have been whooping Ryback's ass for the last six months. Well, here's, here's the funny thing. If you guys remember, when CM Punk led the new Nexus, what did he do to those guys? He beat the shit out of them. For loyalty, it was part of the initiation. What if, for, for argument's sake, Ryback... Is, is on the verge of beating Cena, the shield comes out, the music hits, Ryback hits Shellshock on Cena, the shield get in the ring, everybody thinks that they're going to whoop Ryback's ass, and he proceeds to, you know, put on, you know, the hand them the vest, he puts on the vest, and he does the, you know, the, the post-match celebration with the shield. Nobody would expect that swerve because of that. And of course, on Monday night, when they go, why Ryback, why? He could just easily be like, those beatings I took, they were part of an initiation. I believe in the shield. Like, it would be ridiculous. It would be a crazy way to end it. And like I said, all the belts would belong to the shield. And that's what you need. You need that kind of NWO style four horsemen style stable that comes out there not only makes an impact but above all makes their presence felt in the title picture because that's what i'm talking about the title picture is what matters most when it comes to the belts when you've seen any faction come in they always say once we get the belts the shit the power shifts in our favor and it's true because they kind of it gives them a bit of an incentive to call the shots and run roughshod over management. 
I think in the Shields case, that would be the best course of action. And if you kind of bring it full circle with Heyman being involved still in the shadows, it, it's a it's a great way to do things. Now, the funny thing is that um, myself, Quark, and Blade were talking about that last night, and it was funny that you know we I believe it might have been Quark that said it that you know Ryback is aligned with Paul Heyman and the Shield. And CM Punk comes back and he goes, you know, after all the shit we've been through, Paul, you you pretty much turn your back and you become what you hate and you you manage Ryback and you and you bring Ryback in as a client. I think it'd be a great way to, to turn CM Punk face. That would be a cool way you bring him back. He gets himself a little face run. You get a nice set of matches, CM Punk versus Ryback versus Ambrose versus Rollins versus Reigns. You set up a nice set of matches there. But of course, that would make sense. But I think when the pay-per-view said and done this weekend, the Shield will have at minimum the tag team titles and the secondary belt off of Kofi Kingston. I kid you not. That's how I see it going. I think that they're going to have, you know, they're going to have the IC belt and they're going to have their, themselves the tag team titles and they'll have the last laugh. Simple as that. Big E Langston took on Jack Swagger in a match that, you know, given Dolph Ziggler's injury, was pretty much just a paint-by-numbers, keep-all-the-participants-out-there match. Jack Swagger gets the win via countout. The match between Swagger, Ziggler, and Del Rio has now been changed to a number-one contender's I-quit match due to Mr. Ziggler's unfortunate concussion, which pretty much gave him amnesia. He was all fucked up. And he ended up getting that injury from the kick that Swagger delivered um, last week. So if you see that, you'll see that when he goes in, Swagger kicks him in the head. And you can see that he's kind of not fully in the game. When I saw it, I'm like, damn, I think he may have caught him. And sure as shit, that's what ended up happening. Now, I would have thought that they would have kept the match in play and let Biggie Langston go in and, and represent Dolph Ziggler, which would have led to Langston winning the match, Ziggler retaining the belt, and then Biggie Langston pretty much saying, you know, you kept the belt because of me. So, you know, you can kind of start teasing that dissension in there and start driving that wedge, because I think Biggie Langston is ready to go out on his own. They're starting to push him a little bit more, and I think that that would be the great a great way to separate those guys just by, by doing it that way, it would have allowed them to let Biggie wrestle would have kept Ziggler with the belt and nobody would have, you know, everybody would have been happy, so to speak. So I think that going that route would have been the best course of action, but unfortunately they felt that other things were in order and they decided to go with that, which is fine. I mean, whatever I'll take, I'll take it, but I would have rather they do that and you could have started grooming Biggie Langston for the solo run. But what can you do? Natalia took on AJ in a in a pretty decent match. It went on a little shorter than I would have liked. AJ used the the octopus hold, which she named the the um the Black Widow, I believe, for the submission victory. Now, this match was probably the best Divas match I've seen in a while. Do you know what ruined this match? The commentary. The fucking Bellas. And the regular announced team just talking so much shit that they really were a hindrance to that match. They took away from that match. 
which is crazy. You'd think you'd say to yourself, yo, how did that happen? But they legit took away from that match because they just didn't let the story be told. They, they, they wanted to sell the Bellas so much that they ruined a perfectly good women's match. I kid you not. I'm like, yo, are you serious with this shit? Cause that's exactly what happened. They just ruined a perfectly good women's match. And I actually think I have the clip here and I want you guys to just see the fuckery that was afoot with this match. I just want to say that that slap should be heard around the world. AJ slapped to the worst. I didn't hear it at all. I didn't hear anything. Oh, look out. Doesn't scare me. But I think someone got slapped last time. You are right now the captain of the Titanic. The Titanic. Oh, careful, careful. Do you have your rabies shot? Careful. Don't get near her. Rabies shot? Yeah. Don't let her. She'll bite you. She does look like a rat. I don't think rabies is the only thing she has all the guys she's been through. The best part about this is we could have something. Maybe Caitlin just got something. Maybe we'll be on Total Beavers on E. You know what? Yeah. Do Al Knuckles and John Madden have to put up the cheerleaders with commentary? Ordinarily, I would be tickled to death to have you be in this situation. Cheerleaders? Like you just called these girls cheerleaders. Oh, my gosh. No, I women. did. No, I don't. No, you can call that. Do you hear this shit? Do, does anybody have any idea what was going on in that match? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Anyone? Exactly. Jack shit. It was it was ridiculous. I'm sitting there and I'm like, hey, this match isn't bad. Natalia's a good wrestler. AJ's no slouch in the ring. And all I ha- all I had to hear was that bullshit. The Bellas on one end, Michael Cole in another, JBL <laughs> Republicaning it up in the other side, and Caitlin trying to get a word in it. I was I was done. I was done. Because it wasn't a bad match. That's one thing I gotta say right now on on May 17th, 2013, TNA has better women's wrestling that isn't distracted by the commentary. They let the ladies go out there and tell the story. Yeah, sometimes they got a couple of chicks that are suspect, but at least a story gets told. I understand that you guys view the divas as filler in the WWE, but but come the fuck on. Seriously? Like, I heard nothing. I had to watch that match. I rewatched it. To prep for the show, I watched it on mute. On fucking mute. Because the Bellas and, and, and the commentators just couldn't shut the fuck up for five seconds. Five. And let these let these ladies tell some sort of a story. Look, I understand, Vince, you got a hard-on for the Bellas. You love them. And, and the rationale of twins just makes you makes you get a chubby every night you go to sleep. But seriously, come on. It's bullshit. It's bullshit that you would subject your audience to for, for fucking 10 for, for 10 minutes 10 minutes of that shit it's it's absurd i understand you love the bellas we got it we got it do i need them on my fucking tv all the time no i understand you got to sell that whole e-show shit but seriously come this is why. This is why, like, women leave the company, and when you try to convince them to come back, a lot of them don't, because that's what they got to come back to, just bullshit matches and shitty angles. You mean to tell me that you can't build a division with Natalia, AJ, Tamina, Caitlyn? You can't build a division with those women at minimum, and the Bellas, and the Funkadactyls. 
You can. Because the Bellas, their wrestling isn't good, but it's very easy to dislike them. They're, they're natural heels. They do a good job at it. So let them wrestle. Hearing that, that inane commentary just, just ruined that particular instance of Raw, even more so. Like, I was already kind of on the fence about Raw going in. That shit didn't do it any favors. So they ended up redeeming it with the face-to-face between Triple H and Brock Lesnar. Really, it was, it was a good exchange between them with the cage, and Triple H's promo was really good. My problem with it was that you should always close out Raw with a match, not with an angle. Closing out, Matt, you know, even though they had a little physical exchange, look, your belts and your champions should be the focal point. They should be, CM Punk said it best, your champions, or, or in his case himself, should be the guy that everyone tunes in to see. And that's the problem. You did the six-man match, the six-man tag in the middle of the show, you should have saved that for the end of the show, and you should have done the Brock Lesnar Triple H exchange in the middle of the show. That way people tune in and they see like, oh shit, these guys are beating the shit out of each other. It would have worked. Simple as that. Well, with that said, Raw sets up the following matches for Extreme Rules. The Miz and Cody Rhodes on the pre-show. Chris Jericho and Fandango are on there. Big Show and Randy Orton. Mark Henry and Sheamus in the strap match. Tag team title tornado match. Team Hell No versus The Shield. Rollins and Reigns for that one. A U.S. title match with Kofi and Dean Ambrose. I fucked up. I said IC title earlier. It was U.S. title. I apologize. Number one contenders. I quit match. Alberto Del Rio and Jack Swagger. Steel cage match. Brock Lesnar and Triple H. And the last man standing match for the WWE title between John Cena and Ryback. Those are your matches for Extreme Rules. I think Miz is going to take his match. Jericho may lose his match to Fandango unless they want to give him the win back, which I doubt. Orton will get revenge on the big show. Sheamus Sheamus actually may beat Henry just because they love Sheamus and he's a Triple H guy. Uh, The Shield is definitely winning the Tornado match. Ambrose is winning the U.S. title. I think Del Rio is going to make Jack Swagger say I quit. Brock Lesnar is going to get his win back. And maybe, I'd like to say I'm about... 50, I'm 50-50 with the title match, thinking that Ryback may get the belt. Even if he loses it on Monday or he loses it in a month, I think they may do it if if they're going to pull the trigger with what I said, or they may just do it to try and see if they could get Ryback over as a heel with the belt. Either way, those are my picks for Extreme Rules. So, on the TNA side of things, TNA, again, they have their, their moments. It was... You know, it was, eh, to say the least. Um, Chavo Guerrero and Bobby Roode was actually the first match of the evening, and it was a very, very, very good match. Even though it had the, the you know the the screwy the screwy finish, it's an it was an enjoyable match. Bobby Roode is a great wrestler, and Chavo, if you give him a guy that can go out there and make him look good, he's gonna look amazing. It was really, really good. I liked it, minus the uh, James Storm interference. That caused the DQ. The match itself was very good. Of course, Kurt Angle and AJ Styles have their little exchange. Um, it's weird how they're doing it. I guess they want to try and make AJ Styles, like I said, the loner. Like like st- the Sting Crow gimmick is what I like to use. Um, you know, Mr. Anderson's being involved. It's a 
it's it's a weird turn of events with this aces and eights thing because for a few reasons aces and eights they're they're starting to pick up steam minus you know their lamo motorcycles sons of anarchy gimmick they're picking up steam courtesy of bully ray bully ray makes that shit work not stupid ass doc or or mike knox or garrett bischoff not not those guys briscoe he can at least wrestle um not d either get the fuck out of here but anderson anderson is starting to i wasn't a fan of anderson being in the group initially because it just looks stupid but he's really evolved into the smarmy douchebag member of the group and that works i mean that's starting to actually work quite well we started getting the uh the gut check challenge uh christian york who i'm actually a huge fan of i love the way the guy wrestles took on jay bradley i'm shocked that they gave jay bradley the victory in this because it was a very very good match um it was weird because you know the guy hadn't been on tv since the last gut check i really thought they were going to give it to york especially with the momentum going in and Christian York, the fans just love him. He comes out, he's got that that Jeff Hardy vibe where he comes out, the crowd goes crazy, they they dig his look. He's incredibly athletic, he has unique offense. I'm shocked, like I said, that they that they blew that by giving the win to Jay Bradley. Are we gonna see Jay Bradley on TV more often? Hopefully that's the case. So Velvet Sky took on Gail Kim in a non title match. Gail Kim as usual continues to just just outclass a lot of the knockouts because she's a tremendous wrestler. She's a little high on herself, but her match with Velvet Sky was very good. I was I was very impressed. Solid from start to finish. Velvet Sky continuing to improve, definitely. Um I think that um you know in Gail in Gail Kim's defense, she probably is the number one heel in the knockouts division right now. The case can be made that it's Tara but I think Gail Kim has definitely stepped her game up, especially, you know, using the uh, ring post figure four style uh, submission move that she used on um, Taryn Terrell. I think Gail Kim definitely stepping up the heel factor with regards to the knockouts. Now, Kenny King took on Petey Williams and Chris Sabin for the X Division title. It was a tremendous match, as always. It's to be expected with the X Division. Now, the crazy thing is the... The rule change, of course, where the matches are all uh, triple threat matches. Same thing with the contender matches. Are they're they're really good, and it just allows the wrestlers to have fun out there. Some people complain that the wrestlers don't get to really showcase their skills completely, but the X division is all about taking risks, being extreme, keeping people entertained, and it's one thing that they do leaps and bounds above a lot of the other performers on the roster. And it was just a solid match. I mean. I was bummed that Petey Williams ate the pin because obviously when you lose, you can't challenge for the belt anytime soon. So, you know, Kenny King retains using the the Royal Flush finisher on Petey Williams. Saban stays in there. Obviously, Saban is being groomed as the guy who will be taking the belt from Kenny King. I'm super pumped because, of course, next week we get suicide. Huge fan of that gimmick. I'm just a weirdo. I mean, it's a gimmick that came from a TNA game. But still, it was a gimmick that I thoroughly enjoyed. So we shall see what happens next week with regards to that. Hernandez took on Christopher Daniels in a in a decent match. I think um, Hernandez still has a way to go. He's he's a little he's a little spotty in some areas. Definitely a guy who at one point was considered a a championship contender. You know, getting the big belt. But he's he's rusty. Not not well. Not rusty. I just feel that he's. 
he needs a little bit more polish. Working with a guy like Christopher Daniels definitely works. Christopher Daniels is just having a field day out there with Kazarian. He's enjoying the gimmick, going, doing it justice, healing it up to the 1,000th degree. And he made Hernandez look good in the match. He really did. So, um, you know, I I honestly think that um, the thing that gets me with Hernandez is that you know that the heel turn or the or the turn on Chavo is coming. Now, they might turn around and make Chavo the heel. And, you know, Chavo may say, hey, I got tired of carrying you, blah, blah, blah. And they may try to do the experimental Hernandez face push. Who knows? But the, the split between them is inevitable. Anyway, post-match James Storm came out, said that Chavo and Hernandez are defending their belts against Aries and Rude and Daniels and Kazarian and himself with a partner... Of his choice. So there you go. Um, obviously, you really wish that it could be um, America's Most Wanted. Don't get me wrong. I like those guys. Even though, you know, Wildcat, Chris Harris, they, um, <laughs> I don't know, man. They were they were so awesome at the time. I, I really, I really was digging them. They had awesome theme music. They had great matches with Triple X, which um, at the time was... It was Daniels, Low Key, and Primetime Elix Skipper. That's who it was. And they were they were tremendous, tremendous. America's Most Wanted was so awesome. They had, like I said, great, great intro music. Got people hype. I'm trying to find it because I want you guys to hear it because they it just worked. As soon as that music hit, people people got super hyped for it. I'm trying to see if this is the sit. Uh, I think so. Check this out. It's not that one. It was the one. It, it had a guy. He comes down. And he said, "We find the defendants guilty," and they'd come out and they'd have like the um, the leather trench coats with the American flags on the back. It was it was ridiculous. People were really into it, and I, it's unfortunate. You know, Wildcat Chris Harris got got a little too big for his britches. Went to WWE. Had that terrible terrible run as Braden Walker, and he he was never the same since. And it's unfortunate because America's Most Wanted. At the time when when they were on TNA every week, were considered guys that were shoe ins for for WWE roster spots. They just they were just insane. Their their finishing maneuver, which was the death sentence, was really cool. It was um, I believe it was James Storm. He would hold a guy from the waist, and uh, Harris would do a leg drop. Almost into like a leg drop power bomb combo. It was ridiculous, and at the time, it just worked well. The guys were, without a doubt, the the flag bearers of the, of the tag team division. And if we got an America's Most Wanted reunion with a motivated Chris Harris, I think the crowd would eat it up. They really would. So the main event was the low point of the evening with Joseph Park and his terrible fucking gimmick taking on D'Lo Brown. So, of course, D'Lo Brown makes Joseph Park bleed. He spazzes out. He goes into full-on abyss mode and just kills D'Lo Brown dead with the black hole slam. Now, of course, this is, all for all intents and purposes, leading to D'Lo Brown probably getting getting booted out of aces and eights, thank God. Um, and, of course, Joseph Park, they're teasing the whole he's really abyss, blah, blah, blah. It's, you know... If if they're going in the direction that Joseph Park is 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 going to be like bipolar 
and he's abyss. It, it, it's really going to be something where they they've actually thought it out in the sense that you take you take a guy who who his gimmick is complete shit because the Joseph Park gimmick is bullshit, and you create this guy who has the split personality a la Festus when when you know with Jesse and Festus and Festus will go crazy and kill everybody. Maybe maybe there's something there. There there might be, but. It it has to be it has to be handled very 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 delicately, because it, it it can it can wear out, and and the crowd can turn on it at the drop of a hat. So we'll see where it goes. The Joseph Park gimmick I dislike completely. I'm really a fan of the Abyss gimmick. You know, man, super size mankind, um, because he he's just a, a cool character, and not for nothing the run that he had in the middle. I'd like to say. In the early going of his career, where he was managed by James Mitchell and he was feuding with um, Judas Macias and Raven, and it was just hardcore matches out the ass. That was probably the best of Abyss at that time. Not to say that he's that he's shitty, but I just felt that those were the matches that really took him to that next level. We got our main event contract signing, which of course was academic as all hell, with um, Sting and Bully Ray. Please... Please, please don't give the belt to Sting. Please, I'm begging you, don't do it. it it's just, um, you know, it, just, just don't. Just leave Bully Ray with the belt. It works, and and you, you, he'll probably get a good match with Bully Ray, but don't, don't give the, don't give the belt to Sting. I'm begging you guys, please don't. All right, so let's get into this week's wrestling news, and there were quite a few. So. It looks like WWE is scouting another strongman competitor. Um, Adam Big Country sure has been a guy that they're really looking at closely. Um, it seems that there's, you know, it's it's boiling down to money. He um, he's a strongman competitor. He's a he's a huge dude, um, and I think I think he's a guy that if they sign him, you can't put him on TV right away. I think these bigger guys coming out like the strongman and stuff, they need to take their time in the minors need to take their time in the minors. I think that they have a tremendous upside. Mark Henry, they've dropped the ball with him so many times that I'm just so happy that they finally made him this monster heel. Very happy about it, but I just think that that you know, when you're taking another strongman guy, you can't just throw him out there immediately. I mean, I know Vince got the hard on for the for the big jacked up dudes, but I I just don't do it. If you're going to hire him, Send him to developmental, keep him there for a year or two, let him get the basics, get up some mic work under his belt, and who knows, maybe he can be the guy that will, you know, be the next strongman competitor that transitions to WWE successfully. Mark Henry, of course, being the first, but his career, we all know, has been hit or miss. So let's talk about Austin Aries and what and the craziness that happened. So if you guys watched Impact, you know that. Christy Hemme was introduced was supposed to introduce Austin Aries and Bobby Roode. She fucked up and introduced Daniels and Kazarian, aka Bad Influence. So Austin Aries comes out super mad, healing it up, corners Hemi, climbs up on the turnbuckle, pretty much puts his bag on her face, more or less, and um that was that. So of course people watched it, they complained, blah blah blah. Huge backlash. Christy Hemi, for all intents and purposes, wasn't cool with it. Austin Aries got in trouble. 
and allegedly got fined. How much? Who knows? But seems that, you know, they, um, you know, Austin Aries made a joke about it. Christy Hemme called it unacceptable on Twitter. Seems that TMZ reported that Aries apologized privately to Christy Hemme and that she was, you know, satisfied with the apology and TNA fined Austin Aries. Now, here's the, here's the thing. This is a very, very great news story for a few reasons. Austin Aries is a heel. His job is to heal it up. Christy Hemme fucked up. She did. And not for nothing, in wrestling, especially in live wrestling, if the announcer fucks up, somewhere, some way, somehow, they get called out on it. Either the wrestler says, hey, you fucked up, or they do something to that announcer at some point. Something happens, but it happens. The the case can be made that what what happened with Christy Hemme was some people felt that it bordered on sexual harassment because obviously sexual harassment is another touchy subject to the general public. Me personally, I felt that Aries was being a, 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 a heel, but he probably could have done it without the ball sack to the face. The ball sack to the face, eh, it, it's questionable. I understand you're a heel and that's what works. And, and frankly, TNA shows sometimes worse shit on impact that's questionable so whatever but again the network heard from people as soon as the network here i i guarantee you had tna or or spike tv not heard from the press or from the media and and, and people citing that they were offended austin aries probably would have would have gotten yelled at backstage and he would have apologized and that wouldn't have been that would have been it the problem is that as soon as the public gets involved the, you know, the, the, the wheels just, they just take a turn into, into crazyville. So there you have it. That that's the case. Austin Aries got fined. Christy Hemme got an apology and life, life rolls on. Like I said, Aries, I, I think they blew it out of proportion because people complained. If people wouldn't have said nothing and they just would have gone about their business, it probably would have been all right. But as soon as somebody complains, all hell breaks loose. So, I want to talk a little bit about Antonio Cesaro because it seems that the general consensus on a lot of wrestling websites is the fact that they consider, you know, Antonio Cesaro to be boring, which is weird. I personally think that Antonio Cesaro is the complete package. The guy is an accomplished wrestler, great grappler, awesome mic work. He doesn't look, he's not juiced. If he is, could have fooled me. And most importantly, he's he goes out there and he's a throwback. He's an old school wrestling throwback. Unfortunately, the problem is some people just, I guess they want him to go out there and, and yodel and do something stupid. And, and that's not that's not what he is. Antonio Cesaro falls into the category of the the um, the Lance Storms. The, the even even the Brian Danielsons. I'm talking about the Brian Danielsons, not not the yes Daniel Bryan's, the Brian Danielsons, those guys, the um the the Eddie Edwards, the Roderick Strong, the guys that they're not the greatest Mike they're not the greatest Mike guys, but their wrestling is leaps and bounds ahead of anybody else. And that is is something that really should be the prime factor in making sure that Cesaro is pushed. Because he's a guy that can go out there and have a great match with anybody. He can make everybody look good. And not for nothing, the foreign heel, um, you know, the foreign heel works. 
before and heal works. It's 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 the simplest and easiest thing just playing the four and heal. Simple as that. There's no necessity to, you know, make make him yodel or or do any of these lame-o things. It's just not the move. Frankly, if you're gonna push him, push him on his athletic ability, push him on the fact that he's a tremendous competitor, and you can use the four and heal right now. Simple as that. I think um the the thing that bugs me out with Cesaro is um the guy came from a, a tremendous run in Ring of Honor as part of the Kings of Wrestling. He had a great singles career in Ring of Honor. I don't understand why WWE can sit there, their creative team, and be like, oh, this guy, he lacks personality. Did you really sign him for personality? You you guys signed him for his wrestling. That's what you signed him for. You didn't sign him for, for personality. You signed him for his wrestling. Personality is, um, you know, it, it comes along. It is what it is. But they decided to to go with the whole, eh, we're just going to job him out to everybody and anybody until we figure out what to do with him. And it's it's a sad state of affairs. I am I'm personally bummed that he's been relegated to, you know, putting over guys like Orton and these other guys. It's stupid. It's stupid to me. When the guy had the belt, he... Gave some prestige to the U.S. title. He looked really good in his matches. And he just has, you know, the gotch neutralizer, the um, the, the European uppercuts he does. Just just great athleticism and, and, shows, and show of strength from him in every match. And the crowd gets into it. The crowd digs the character. Just because creative doesn't, doesn't have some stupid gimmick for him doesn't mean that, he's, that he lacks personality or he's boring. On the contrary, he's probably one of the best guys on there. Slick says it all the time too. Slick Slick has said has said it on numerous occasions. Like, yo, Cesaro's one of the best dudes they got. It's absurd. It's completely absurd. So, you know, Evan Bourne hasn't been on TV in God knows how long. Turns out that Evan Bourne is ready to come back, and allegedly they are looking to pair him with Sinkara as part of a new tag team. Obviously, Rey Mysterio is not coming back anytime soon, and the kids love Evan Bourne and Sin Cara. Clearly, he he moves merchandise as well. I I like Evan Bourne. He's a tremendous competitor. He's got a an amazing finisher. But if anything, I would put Evan Bourne with Justin Gabriel. I'd put Bourne and Gabriel together until Tyson Kidd comes back, and you can have a little feud with those guys and kind of keep the mid card fresh. Sin Cara doesn't need a tag team partner because Sin Cara does well by himself. So I don't understand why they don't do it, but huh? seems that dark helmet is telling me that the show stopped on the Mixler side of things. I don't understand why it seems that, um, the show is still live here. Very weird. Dark helmet. I don't know. Refresh and try it out. Let me know how it works. It shows that we are still broadcasting live here. So, um, I don't know. That's the uh, first time that we've had a Mixler issue. Ah, there you go. It refreshed. He refreshed and it recovered. Thank you, DH. I appreciate it. So, like I said, I think Bourne should go with Gabriel. Sinkara should go solo. And that should be that. Last but not least, Just Incredible is in the news this week because, of course, everybody on the internet was abuzz with him getting arrested. And it turns out he 
was actually addressing a charge from an incident that occurred in August of last year. And the beauty of it was that people that were all ready to write off Just Incredible, he went on 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 the web and he pretty much issued a statement pretty much closing the door on it. So what ended up happening was he was arrested for third-degree forgery and sixth-degree larceny. He was charged in August of last year but was arrested for those charges on May 3rd. He has a court date on June 21st. Anyway, he released a statement and he said that, you know, it's, it's a non-story because of the following. This was something stemming from two years ago when my father was in Portugal on vacation and I cashed one of his checks that he told me I could cash. Then... When I went to the check cashing place, he forgot that he gave me the authority, so he canceled the check. Pretty much the check bounced at the check cashing place, so they issued a warrant. I hadn't known about it for like two years. I wanted to clear my name, and, in, and I'm doing well, and I don't want any legal shit. So I turned myself into the police department on my own. No one was looking for me. I just wanted to get it taken care of, just to have my life straightened out, like I'm told to do in my AA program. So I paid the check cashing fee, which was a couple of hundred dollars. I was in the police station for 20 minutes and all the charges have been dropped. So there you go, ladies and gents. For those of you that were thinking Just Incredible had fallen off the wagon, he he seems to be on the up and up. I saw him wrestle at the House of Glory show a couple of months back and he he looked good. He looked good out there against the, the, the Shogun, against Earl Cooter. Definitely looked good in his match, um, seemed motivated, looked healthy. I'm glad to see him on the up and up, and I'm glad to see that it just wasn't another quick wrestling arrest news story. All right, guys, there you have it. That's going to wrap up the wrestling segment for this week. Just a brief reminder, if you are stopping in the Mixler or the Blog Talk Radio chat, we have a chat room set up on MyTakeRadio.com, which you can use by going to the Listen tab, and you can use the chat room in there. It's something that we are testing out this week, and I really would like to get feedback from you guys, letting me know if the chat room works to your specifications, et cetera, et cetera, because it's something that we'd like to continue using going forward. If it's not, if it doesn't work well, then obviously we're going to look at other options, but the prime motivator here is to have a unified chat experience right on the site. Okay, so without any further ado, let's switch gears and talk some video games because there's quite a bit to discuss. So we finally got a release date for WWE 2K14, and that will be going down in October. Take-Two, of course, acquired the WWE license in February ahead of the THQ auction. It confirmed the news in a, in a press release that was put out. The game right now is listed for the 360 and the PS3, but it's, a rumor, it's rumored that it's going to be released on all major platforms and distribution channels. The Rock will be on the cover, so WWE fans... You will be able to get that game in October. I believe the date is October 29th is the release date. So mark that down on your calendars. I got to talk a little bit about Aliens Colonial Marines because a lot of people pretty much shit on that game. And a lot of people just felt gypped. There were people that were super pumped for it. And it turns out that the game just didn't deliver in one way or another. So, of course... This hurt the development company, and as of right now, the company seems to have filed for bankruptcy. 
Kotaku report that TimeGate has been closed and the entire staff was laid off. The company filed for bankruptcy protection on May 2nd and lost an appeal against South Peak Interactive in April. So, you know, South Peak fought the, for the company's closure in arbitration and won. So there you go. The company that made Section 8 and Aliens Colonial Marines, gone. Now, on the fiscal side of things, we were talking about a couple of companies that had really solid earnings last year. Well, at the end of their fiscal year, Konami actually released their data, which I wanted to share with you guys because their fiscal year ended March 31st, and it ended at a loss compared to last year. They did have a growth in social gaming. The company has, it ended with $2.4 billion in revenue, which was down 15%, and, um, the digital division saw a decline of 17%. Pachinko's division fell 70%. But, ever, but the crazy thing is social media games definitely helped the company in Japan with 35 million players registering worldwide. Pro Evolution Soccer 2013 and Metal Gear Revengeance both had strong worldwide performances. So there you have it. Konami, even though they lost, they ended with a loss for their fiscal year, did have some solid titles. I'm actually playing Metal Gear Revengeance and I'm going to have a review for that hopefully within the next couple of days. One game that I did finish, which I'm actually going to post a review hopefully tomorrow, is Gears of War Judgment. If you're still playing the game and you're getting into the multiplayer, you can get a free multiplayer map. Um, It's a Maxim-sponsored map called Dreadnought, which takes place on the naval vessel CNV Pomeroy, and you'll be able to pick that up right now. The DLC is going to be available for free for a limited time, and it went on sale yesterday so there you have it if you want a new multiplayer map and it's and you want to pick it up for free it is sponsored by maxim and it is dreadnought square enix is in the news this week because their fiscal year also ended march 31st and they also posted a loss um sleeping dogs hitman absolution and tomb raider had weak sales it seems that the company is going to start focusing more on smartphones and tablets going forward and less on console games for the time being they um the company will be restructuring and you know they've had some some incredible losses it's weird because sleeping dogs wasn't a bad game hitman absolution i enjoyed and tomb raider was solid but i guess they just didn't meet the expectations that they had based on the restructuring and what they're going to do with smartphones and tablets they are projecting an income of three point of 34.4 to 59 million dollars tough break man square enix had has so many great franchises so many great titles and to hear them not doing well in this particular climate is it's disheartening but it happens i'm sure that when the ps4 comes out and the new xbox comes out maybe we'll get a brand new final fantasy that everybody can play and won't require 20 discs on the xbox so maybe that's a step in the right direction we shall see i'm sure slick is going to be happy to hear that gran turismo 6 is getting ready for release on the PlayStation 3, all signs are pointing to a holiday 2013 release. Who knows, we may even see it on the PS4 as well. Uh, Kazunori Yamauchi made the announcement at the 15-year anniversary event for the franchise at Silverstone in the UK. So, of course, the game is going to preserve all the cars and tracks from Gran Turismo 5. The game will be released in 30 um the game will launch with 33 courses um 33 locations excuse me and 71 courses 19 of which will be brand new plus of course you'll be able to get new tracks and cars via dlc but they will also be including a course maker and there's going to be a lot of connectivity with other devices like smartphones and tablets of course 
for social and community functions. You'll be able to get a quick, a, a good look at the game, I'm sure this summer, either at E3 or at a Sony event. But they did unveil a demo for They will be unveiling a demo for the game in July. So one way or the other, you're going to get a look at it either at E3 or at Gamescom. So there you go. I'm, me personally, I wasn't, I used to really love the Gran Turismo franchise. I, th- I just think it got a little bit too big for my liking. I like, I, I think I like more of the, the burnout type racing. I'm more into that stuff. Not to say that Gran Turismo is shit, because it's not. It's probably one of the most beautiful racing games you can look at. But, unfortunately, it's just not a game that grabs my attention like it does for everybody else. Like I said, I like more of the arcade racing games. Um, you know, Need for Speed Most Wanted, um, Burnout, stuff like that. That's, I, I definitely will check it out, because it's always good to to give the game a once over, but I'm sure slick will be the one that will have a review for you guys when it drops. Anyway, gaming news were a little light this week. So we are going to go right into this week's entertainment news because there is definitely a lot to cover there as well. Let's get right to it. First up, of course, it wouldn't be an entertainment segment without some Marvel news. Looks like Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are all but certain for the Avengers 2. Um, right now, they're looking to do a uh, younger cast, probably going along the lines of actors in their 20s as the prototype for Scarlet Witch. They're looking for actors and actresses that are also British, not necessarily Eastern European, but definitely more British than anything else. Quicksilver's character in particular, they want to have him be more Euro and edgy. So there you have it. Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver join the Avengers in issue number 16, which came out in May 1965. So there you have it. Looks like Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are all but certain for the Avengers. On some small screen news, which you can even consider what the fuck small screen news, Mike Tyson is going to be getting his own animated series on the Cartoon Network. I kid you not. The network announced that Mike Tyson Mysteries will be premiering this fall. And here's the synopsis. I kid you not when I read this. Mike Tyson has taken the fight from the boxing ring to the streets by solving mysteries. Armed with a magical tattoo on his face and his trusty associate by his side, a talking pigeon... If you have a problem that needs solving, Iron Mike is in your corner. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, the series incorporates live action appearances, of course, by Mike Tyson. And um, it's going to be it's going to be uh, an interesting <laughs> it's going to be an interesting show. It's definitely in what the fuck territory. But you know what? I'm intrigued. I legitimately am intrigued at Mike Tyson solving mysteries with a talking pigeon. I'm sorry I am. <laughs> Sue me. It is it's definitely it's definitely, you know, WTF worthy small screen news, but come on, it's Iron Mike. Me and my bird, we're gonna go out there and solve some crime. That's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna punch you in the face. I'm gonna I'm gonna fuck you till you love me. <laughs> oh my god. Ah, good old Mike Tyson. Anyway, you know, I'm glad I'm glad Iron Mike is getting his shit together and 
I'm a fan. I'm, don't get me wrong. I am a fan of Mike Tyson. And I'm not even talking about crazy-ass Mike Tyson that says crazy shit. I'm a fan of Mike Tyson, the boxer. The guy that would go out there and murder, death, kill you. I'm a fan of that guy. Always have been. You know, talking talking pigeon cartoon. Weird, but, but I do want to see it. So, a couple of months back, we were talking about the Beverly Hills Cop TV series that was going to be airing with uh, Brandon T. Jackson as the son of Axel Foley. Turns out, get this, CBS has passed on the show. How crazy is that? The Hollywood Reporter reports that the network has opted to pass on the pilot. The pilot was produced by Sony and Paramount, and of course, it's going to get shopped around to other networks, but really, all that shit, and CBS just decided not to do it. It's crazy. And I'll tell you why. It's probably one of the few shows that when I read the description, I didn't think was going to be a complete bag of shit, especially because Eddie Murphy was going to be legitimate, was going to legitimately be involved in the in various aspects of the show, thus keeping the continuity of the character alive. But I will say this. I think CBS right now with Hawaii Five-0 and, you know, some of their other cop shows getting another cop show in there probably wouldn't have done them any favors i will say this though i would rather the show be done in in eddie murphy fashion you know with a little bit of you know a little cursing a little stuff i think i would probably put beverly hills cop on fx i I, i'd even shoot for cable if anything fx would be really good i think it would be a great fit um, you do it similar to how you did the Shield, the TV series, not the not the wrestling faction, and you can have a lot of fun with it. Make it dark, make it gritty, but add a little comedy in there. I'm sure Eddie Murphy will will make it interesting, and I'm sure it would be good on FX. I just I'm I'm bugged out. It trips me out that CBS would pass on it because, like I said, it was it was definitely one of the better TV series that was on the docket. All right, so let's talk box office numbers. Iron Man 3, $72.4 million, keeping that number one slot. Number two was The Great Gatsby, opening at $51 million. Pain and Gain took another $5 million. Tyler Perry's The Peoples took in $4.9 million. 42 took in $4.7. Oblivion was number six. The Croods was number seven. The Big Wedding was number eight. Mud was number nine. And Oz the Great and Powerful was number 10 to round things out this week. I'm sure that Star Trek will probably dethrone Iron Man 3. We shall see. I think the box office is going to shape up with Star Trek at number one, Iron Man at number two, and The Great Gatsby at number three. It's been a good week for the small screen with another bit of small screen news. Fox will be bringing back Jack Bauer with a 24-12 issue, 12-episode uh, miniseries, 24 Live Another Day will be coming to the airwaves this fall. Well, not this fall, excuse me, in May 2014. I've been watch I've been reading way too many upfront articles about fall programming. But yeah, 24 is returning to Fox this May, 12 episodes, of course, following Jack Bauer who everyone loves and frankly, what else is Kiefer Sutherland doing? Wow, I kind of ate that sentence up like Pac-Man. But as I said, what is Kiefer Sutherland doing? Might as well come back to Jack Bauer. And honestly, they were originally going to go with a 24 movie, and that just fell through the cracks. So, you know what? I'll take another another 12 episodes of 24. Definitely will. So, we've talked about crazy shit. Mike Tyson and his cartoon, 
24. Get this, and I kid you not. They're going to do a movie about medieval times. You know medieval times, the restaurant, medieval times, dinner and tournament, that medieval times. They are doing a movie about it. Deadline reports that the restaurant is getting its own film from Bender's, from Bender's Pink and Broken Road Productions. I, I kid you not. It looks like they're going to develop the property into something that they can shop for studios, and it's going to be a movie about medieval times. Why? I don't know. But really, Hollywood, this is what you're doing. You're making a movie about a restaurant. But that's okay, because we got, we've had What the Fuck TV news. We got some What the Fuck movie news with the medieval times movie, but get this. Arnold Schwarzenegger wants to be involved in a remake of the Toxic Avenger. Now, before you think that Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to suit up to play Toxie, no, he is not. He wants to be in the movie as a, as a leading as a leading character, but not the Toxic Avenger. Those of you that are '80s babies or or '70s kids, you guys know. Well, no, 80s baby, sorry. When did the first Toxic Avenger come out? Slick, are you in there? Give me an assist. No? Anyone? Euler? Uh, I guess I gotta resort to the to the good old-fashioned computer to break this out. Anyway, Toxic Avenger, the first film came out in 1984. What, what the hell is wrong with me citing 80s babies? Yeah, 1984, I was four years old when that shit came out. Anyway, so Arnold Schwarzenegger wants to be involved with the Toxic Avenger. Why? I don't know. But um <laughs> uh it's 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 craziness. It's craziness. We're going to get a Toxic Avenger remake. It's madness, I tell you. But what can you do? Toxic Avenger, Mike Tyson and his crime fighting pigeon and a Medieval Times movie. I will say this. Your Star Trek Into the Darkness Into Darkness review is ready for consumption. Thank you, Slick. Slick just posted it. Feel free to head over to mytakeradio.com either during a commercial break, which there are not going to be any more, or um, after the show's over and check out the review. Let Slick know what you think in the comments section. So it gets it gets crazier this week with movie news. Get this. Univision, a.k.a. the Brown People Network, one of my favorite networks because they have some of the best cooking shows terrible dance shows and a shitload of soap operas with scantily clad women um, is going to be doing a partnership with the L Ray network. Now you're probably asking yourself, why would I care? L Ray is a network that's supposed to be an English language cable network from Robert Rodriguez. With that in mind, they want to do a TV series of from dusk till dawn. Yeah. On Univision. I don't know if it's going to be, on Univision and El Rey or El Rey on or on the El Rey network only, but we are getting a Dust Till Dawn TV show. Couple of problems I have with this. If you do it on a Spanish language channel, the people that want to see it won't be able to. If you do it on a network that's not on every cable provider, no one will get to see it. I'm just saying. I'd watch a Dust Till Dawn TV show. I, I would. I'd be curious to see what they do with it. But Univision and a new network? Yeah. No. Definitely something that I'm going to have to be watching very closely to see how it develops. 
Now, remember last week I said we were going to get new Dungeons & Dragons movies? Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. It seems that Hasbro is suing Sweepy Entertainment over Warner Brothers Dungeons & Dragons reboot, according to The Hollywood Reporter. It seems that Courtney Solomon, who produced the 2000 film, was working with the studio on a new film. The film is going to be based on Chainmail, the board game from Dungeons & Dragons. Hasbro had, re- had licensed the reboot to Universal Studios. So it's all a matter of you know who's on first. Hasbro does have a legitimate case because they did license the reboot to Universal Studios, but we also got to look at it from the standpoint that Courtney Solomon's Sweet Pea Entertainment was already working on a, on a film. So it's going to be very interesting to see. Hasbro claims that Sweet Pea got the rights to the property in 1994 and got the right to do a sequel or a prequel after the initial film. However... Sweepy Entertainment claims ownership of the theatrical motion picture rights in the property. And they feel that the sequel, you know, the, well, I messed this up. Sweepy's claim of ownership of the theatrical motion picture rights in the property is baseless because the sequel rights have reverted to Hasbro. That's what's, that's what the story is. So the, when the rights reverted back to Hasbro, Hasbro had full ownership of the property at this point. It's the same thing that happened with, um, you know, Daredevil and some of those other movies that were licensed out. If they weren't, they had a certain amount of time to make a movie, and if they didn't make it, the rights reverted back to the studio. Same thing was going on with Superman. So it's going to be very interesting to see where they go with this because obviously the Dungeons and Dragons films were shit. Honestly, if I were Sweet Pea Entertainment, I wouldn't even want to do it to myself to put out another one and let Hasbro drop the ball, but it looks like, you know, there's money to be made there, and they feel that there is a market for Dungeons & Dragons movies. Is there? I doubt it, but clearly, uh, Courtney Solomon and Hasbro both beg to differ. Angry Birds will be on your big screen July 1st, 2016, in a film that that will be distributed by Sony Pictures. We all know that it was only a matter of time before the Angry Birds made it to the big screen, and now it is all but certain with a release date in hand. So Sony's going to be handling the rights for that. Of course, the Angry Birds, released in 2009, have made a fuckload of money and have had countless spinoffs, of course, Bad Piggies, Angry Birds Star Wars, etc. But besides the feature film, they're also going to be, um, of course, having their animated series, which started in March, and you'd be able to check that out on the Angry Birds app. And even if you have certain video-on-demand providers, you can check that out there as well. The series thus far has had 150 million views from the apps alone within the first six weeks, so there is definitely a market for the Angry Birds universe on the big screen. Carl Urban is all about Judge Dredd. He really would like to do a second film, but he said that they need... Um, fans to be vocal about their desire to see a second Dread movie. I will say this. Carl Urban did a tremendous job in Judge Dread. I really enjoyed it. I actually owned the film. I liked the uh, the vibe, how it was very similar to The Raid. Urban was just tremendous from start to finish. And I think a second Dread movie would do good. I think the DVDs and Blu-ray sales probably made a, subs- a substantial amount of money. I'd love to see a second Judge Dread film, especially if you focus on like the Dark Judges, it would definitely be cool. And it would continue to erase the stench of Stallone's Judge Dread, which, by the way, Stallone is in the news this week because 
he gave us some updates about The Expendables 3 on Twitter. He said that Mickey Rourke was coming back and that he spoke to Wesley Snipes and Jackie Chan. When asked about Jackie Chan joining the cast, he said, what's the plan? Asked Jackie Chan. He said that he wanted he wants to do the third Expendables like they did the raid, and he actually said that he that Expendables 3 could do better and be better than the raid. So there you have it. As of right now, The Expendables 3 is going to be directed by Patrick Hughes, of course, Stallone, Jason Statham, Jet Li, Dolph Lundgren, Chuck Norris, uh, Randy Couture, Terry, Cl- Terry Crews, um, Bruce Willis, Schwarzenegger, Van Damme were all in the second film, but it's all questionable whether all of them will be in the third. Interesting times for sure. Me personally, I'd love to see Wesley Snipes back in there. Um, I think that Wesley Snipes would be good in the Expendables universe. It would be a great way to get him back out there to audiences on the big screen. And I think that in terms of fight choreography and just making the fights look good, Wesley Snipes could definitely do it. In terms of outrating the raid, you know, it's... I don't know. It, it depends on how the movie shot what kind of fights are done because the raid is a is is in a genre all its own. Slick Slick can vouch for that, John Blade can vouch for that, and I can tell you that the raid is just an amazing movie and it takes uh you know, Judge Dredd followed a similar form a similar ugh, excuse me, a similar formula and it worked, but I just feel that you know, that's a pretty big boast coming from Schwarzenegger, I mean from Schwarzenegger from Stallone that He's going to do Expendables 3 better than The Raid did. I just I just beg to differ. I think that you got way too many old guys to go in there and do some of the stuff. The only guy that could probably make that work is Jet Li and Jason Statham and probably Chuck Norris. But anybody else? I don't know, man. I don't think Stallone has it in him to go and just bash through 100 guys at a time. It'll it, <clears throat> excuse me. It'll probably look really, really phony. But... Who knows? Expendables 3 probably will start shooting within the next couple of months. So once we get more news, I will, of course, share it with you guys. So a couple of months back, we were talking about Wonder Woman on the CW, and they wanted to go with this whole crazy approach titled Amazon, which was supposed to be debuting fall of this year. Well, that series and the concept was dead, but it seems that CW president Mark Pedowitz said that they're is the possibility of the series still seeing the light of day because it is currently being redeveloped. And he said himself that they don't want to do something that would not do the franchise justice as it is one of the trickiest of the DC characters to bring to the small screen and the big screen. Well, I'll say this. CW has been doing a great job with Arrow. They're not going too crazy. They're not throwing Green Arrow in your face constantly. I don't even think he's called Green Arrow. I, don't, I haven't heard the name Green Arrow on the show once. He's been called The Hood, The Vigilante, but never Green Arrow. We all know he's Green Arrow. We all, you know, especially if we've read the comics, we know. But to anybody else, it's just Arrow. So you can use that same approach with Wonder Woman. You don't got to go crazy and throw all the Wonder Woman mythos in our face, but still keep the core concept intact so that you can give the audience something that they won't think is complete shit. All I'm saying, a Wonder Woman TV series would probably do very well. You can even throw it in a block on the CW and make it tie in with Arrow because it's part of the same universe. There's a way to make that work, 
Plus, it helps the show. You can even introduce her character in Arrow and spin it off into a show if it's done right. Much like they did with Arrow and Aquaman and those guys when they showed up on Smallville. All of those guys, they thought about giving them solo shows. Green Arrow obviously being the one that was the the winner, but still, you can do the same thing with Wonder Woman. It can be done. And between, between you and I, I think going with a small screen version of Wonder Woman right now is a great way to test out what works and what doesn't before throwing that franchise on the big screen, not doing it right, and losing a hell of a lot more money. I'm sorry, but I think Wonder Woman should be on the small screen and then cultivate there and go to the big screen. Simple as that. All right. Well, that actually is going to wrap up the show for this week. It was a bit shorter than usual this week. We finished a whole hour early. Anyway, make sure to check out Slick's Star Trek Into Darkness review on MyTakeRadio.com. As for me, you've just heard My Take Radio episode 184. For Thursday, May 16th, 2013. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of MTR, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also hit up our feedback line, 347 That's 347 mtr If you don't want your message played on air, please make sure to specify that when you leave your message. Social media, we are all over the place. You can find us on Twitter, at MyTakeRadio. Become a fan on Facebook. Add us to your circle on Google+. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash MyTakeRadioTV. You can also watch our game streams on Twitch TV, twitch.tv forward slash MyTakeRadio underscore TV. Again, it's twitch.tv forward slash MyTakeRadio underscore TV. My Take Radio is also on Daily Motion. Look for us there as well with all our video content on Daily Motion and on YouTube and probably on Vivo within the next week or two. All right. On behalf of myself, Slick, Andrea, Quark, Blade, Jay Santee, Ben, and the rest of the MTR crew, I will catch you guys next week. Thank you for listening. Peace. I think we're going to give a little bit of love to the crew from the Maniac Agenda with The Awakening, and they will be taking us out. You can get any of the Maniac Agenda's music by heading over to facebook.com forward slash the Maniac Agenda or maniacmusic.net. You can also look for the Maniac Agenda on SoundCloud.
Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye. 